Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 so now we're going to be jumping back into the book of romans where we left off in romans chapter 12 and before we begin to read let me propose this to you let me remind you that this is the way the lord used to work in the old testament days if you wanted to meet with the lord You had to meet with the Lord at the base of an altar of earth and stone. If you had a need, you came to the altar. If you had need of forgiveness, if there was sin in your life, you came to the altar. Right? You met with the Lord at the base of an altar of earth and stone. That was the way that you were prescribed to do so. And so by way of introduction, before we even get into these verses this morning, I want to remind you of four men in the scriptures in the Old Testament that each built altars, and maybe for slightly different reasons, but each of them needed this altar. They were called to build this altar because at the altar is a place where something comes to die. We'll begin with Father Abraham, a man called by God's grace God sees Abraham and says, listen, I'm going to lead you to a new land. I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you. You're going to have more children than the stars in the heaven, than the sand on the shore. Here's a man who is being called, and yet by the age of 80, he still hadn't had any children of his own. But yet he believed, he pressed through, and God provided for him a son, the age of 100, some say. Can you imagine that just for a moment? Right? Imagine having to change diapers at 100 years old. I, I'm not in the front of the line to sign up for that. But here's a man who had faith that God was going to perform his promise. But in Genesis chapter 22, God comes to Abraham and he challenges Abraham. The scripture actually says that he came to test Abraham. And he says, I want you to take that son that I promised you and I want you to offer him up to me on the mount called Moriah. And so Abraham calls a couple of his servants together. He calls his son, brings his son Isaac, which literally his name means laughter, calls Isaac to himself, and he sets out on a many's day journey to Mount Moriah, the place where God had called him to go and to sacrifice this son. Remember, the son of the promise. If he was ever going to be a father of many nations, if his descendants were ever going to number more than the stars in heaven or the sand on the shore, it was going to happen through this son, Isaac. And so Abraham makes his way, and the scripture says that he takes with him the knife, he takes with him the wood, and he takes with him the fire. And when they're three days away from Moriah, Abraham says to the servants that are with him, you stay here with our stuff, we're going to go up, my son and I are going to go up on this mountain to worship the Lord. And so 
Abraham takes the wood for the sacrifice and he places it upon the back of Isaac so that Isaac would carry the burden and the load of this sacrifice up to Mount Moriah. And on the way up, Isaac is very astute. Now, we say this story oftentimes and we think that Isaac must be a a very young child for him to be willing to go through this or for him to be put through this ordeal. But no, the scripture is clear. He was old enough to carry the wood for the sacrifice. He was carrying a heavy load. He was strong enough, at least in his teens, most Bible commentators will agree. Some say as old as 30 by this time when Abraham is called to do this with Isaac. So there they are on their way up to the Mount Moriah, and Isaac stops and he says for a second, Father, I see that we have the wood, and I see that we have the fire, but where is the lamb for the offering? And Abraham replies to Isaac, my son, the Lord will provide himself the lamb for offering. Obviously an allusion to Jesus, the lamb of God that would come and take away the sins of the world. Now, they're on their way up there. They get to the top of the mountain, and the scripture says that Abraham binds his son, ties his son up, and lays him upon the altar. Again, this is a a young man that is strong enough, certainly, to take on his over 100-year-old father. But he allows himself to be bound. He allows himself to be placed upon this altar that God has required Abraham to build. And Abraham takes up the knife, And he raises it above his head and he hears a voice from God saying, stop. Now I know that you believe. And the scripture says in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, that Abraham believed that God was even able to raise Isaac from the dead because he believed in God's promises that much. And here what God is doing is he's calling Abraham to a place of sacrifice. So if you're taking notes, this isn't in your notes. This is a freebie. This is maybe a lesson within a lesson. But the first altar that we're looking at is Abraham's altar, and it is an altar of sacrifice. This is a place where God calls Abraham to come and to give up that which is the most precious in his life. And he says to Abraham, are you willing to give what has the the attention of your eye? Are you willing to give your heart over to me completely? Will you give me the most important thing in your world? Am I that important to you? Do you love me that much? Do you trust me that much? And Abraham goes all the way to the point where he raises the knife and God says, no, stop. And then Abraham looks up and he sees off in the thickets, in the bushes, a ram that is caught by its horns. And he brings that ram and he sacrifices that lamb unto the Lord. And he calls that place Jehovah Jireh, the place in which God will provide the sacrifice. What a beautiful thought to think of. Here's this sacrifice Abraham called to sacrifice that which is the most dear to him. And I want you to know this morning that when you come to your altars, that altar is a place where you have to come and you have to bring sacrifice to God. It has to cost you something. It has to hurt just a little bit. And it's as if you're saying to the Lord, Lord, I love you more than all of this, than whatever this dear thing is that I'm laying upon this altar, I love you more than that. That first altar is an altar of sacrifice. The second altar that we will look at is the altar of Moses. And in Exodus chapter 20, if you read this later on, this is where God delivers to the children of Israel for the very first time the Ten Commandments. We call it the law, the Torah. The Ten Commandments, these are the rules that should govern your life. And if you abide by these rules, your life will be blessed and your life will be full and your life will be complete. But if you stray from these, 
the blessings of God will be removed from you, right? So these 10 commandments are delivered and immediately after the 10 commandments are delivered through Moses to the children of Israel, do you know what God instructs the children of Israel to do? He instructs them to build an altar of earth and stone. Why is this important? Because God knows from the moment he gives forth the word, the moment he gives forth the commandments, that there's no way they're going to be able to keep these rules. It is not in their heart. They are sinners. But I still want for there to be a way for them to come into my presence. So you need to build an altar. In Exodus chapter 40, again you can read this later on. Moses is given an outline of what the tabernacle should be built like. And the word of the Lord comes to Moses and says, you need to put the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat of God, right in the middle of the Holy of Holies. And you should put a curtain there in front of it, a veil in front of it. And inside the holy place, inside the holy place, there should be an altar of incense. And right outside the door of the holy place, you should have another altar, an altar of burnt offering. There's two altars that God says you're supposed to have here in the midst of the compound of the tabernacle. And do you know where that tabernacle was supposed to be located? Right in the middle of the camp of the Israelites. Their entire world revolved around that altar. The place where they could come and that they could meet with God at an altar built of earth and of stone. And so in Moses' altar, we see an altar of importance. Where Abraham's was an altar of sacrifice, this is an altar of importance. It has to be at the center of your life. This has to be the place that you come to the most often. When you are in need, when you are tired, when you need refreshing, when you are afraid, when you are sick, when you are desperate, you come to this place to meet with God at an altar of earth and stone. An altar of great importance. The next altar we will look at is the altar of Joshua. Joshua, a man called by God to take over after Moses departs to be with the Lord. And so Joshua comes along and he's leading the children of Israel in the conquest of the land of Canaan. And in Joshua chapter 6, they come up against this fortified city called Jericho. And God gives them a very clear outline of how to be victorious in this battle of Jericho. They weren't supposed to raise a sword in the beginning. They were just supposed to march and to worship. And on the seventh day, many of you know the story, they marched around the city of Jericho seven times. And on the seventh time, once they had completed, they blew the trumpets, the people shouted, and the walls fell down. But very clearly, God had said to the children of Israel, when this happens, you're supposed to take all of the possessions, the gold, the silver, all of the precious things that are there within the city of Jericho, and you burn everything except for that which is to come into the treasury of the Lord. Everything else is to be considered harem to you. It's to be considered forbidden, off limits. Do not take it. Do not touch it. The blessings of the Lord are dependent upon your obedience to this command. But there in the midst of the camp of Israel, there was a man by the name of Achan. And we read his story in Joshua chapter 7, how he coveted some things that were there, some of the spoils of the war with Jericho. And so he takes a cloak, he takes this beautiful garment, this beautiful robe, and he takes some silver and he takes some gold and he buries it under his tent. And so the next time the children of Israel are faced with battle, they come to a city called Ai. And there at Ai, though Ai was a much lesser city than the city of Jericho, they're defeated. They send 3,000 people, 36 of them die, and they end up fleeing at the hands of the men of Ai. 
And Joshua and the elders are distraught and they cannot figure out, Lord, why would you bring us from the land of Egypt to come and to have your name be marred because our enemies are causing us to flee. And they're mourning and they're throwing dust in the air and they're grieving over the condition of this loss. And there in the midst of that, the Lord says, no, the reason why this has happened is because someone has brought in those forbidden things into the camp. And you cannot be blessed with those forbidden things in the camp. And so the Lord reveals where that forbidden thing is hidden. And Achan and his family is destroyed. And they go back to fight again against the people of Ai. And this time they overcome the enemy. Ai, the men of Ai are all destroyed. But after this battle in Joshua chapter 8, something amazing happens. The Lord places upon the heart of Joshua to do something. He places upon the heart of Joshua to build an altar of earth and stone. And there at that altar, he gathers all of the nation of Israel, all of the people, and he says, I want you to gather around here. And he reads to them once more the law of God. He reminds them of all of the commands that Moses had given the children of Israel. He reminds them who God is and who they are, that they are God's people. And if they are to be blessed, they must obey the commands of the Lord. And so we see in Joshua's altar an altar of remembrance. You have an altar of sacrifice with Abraham. You have this altar of remembrance here with Joshua. In between you had that altar that Moses built an altar really of importance. Everything revolved around that altar. Our last altar that we'll look at before we get into this text this morning is an altar that David would erect. An altar of earth and of stone. In First Chronicles chapter 20, David does something wicked and against the advice of his advisors. And there's pride that is welled up within the heart of David at this point. And he wants to see exactly how powerful of a man he is. And so he calls his generals and he says, I want you to go throughout the land of Israel and I want you to count every man that is of fighting age. I want to know how many men are under my command. And his advisors are saying, this is not advisable. This is not of the Lord. And David says, do it. And because David's heart is in a place of pride and arrogance and he wants to see how great of a man he is, judgment from the Lord comes upon the people of Israel. And the Lord says to David, you have three choices. You can choose three years of famine, you can choose three months at the end of the sword of your enemy, or you can choose three days with the judgment of God falling upon the people of Israel. And David says this, well then I don't want to be at the hands of man because God's mercy is great. Let me fall into the hand of the Lord. And the scripture says that pestilence breaks off across the land for these three days. During the course of this time, 70,000 people die. And David sees this vision of the angel of the Lord with the sword that is drawn, ready to come against the city of Jerusalem. And then uh, he hears a voice. And the voice is through a man that God sends. And this man says to David, if you want the sword of the Lord to relent, go and build an altar of earth and of stone on the threshing floor of Ornan. And so David goes and he approaches Ornan and Ornan is there, he's threshing the wheat and his sons have already gone to hide because they see the judgment coming. They had a vision of the angel of the Lord with the sword drawn. But Ornan comes out to meet David, he falls on his face. What would you require of me, my king? 
And David says, I need to purchase from you your threshing floor to build an altar upon. Because the Lord has called me to build this altar. And Ornan says, no, my king, you can have it. Here, you can have my oxen for the burnt offering. You can have my tools, all of my utensils for the threshing to burn the altering. And you can have this land, take it. And David says this, no, I will pay you for this threshing floor. Because I cannot offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. I will gladly pay you its worth because this needs to cost me something. In David's heart of heart, he has to offer some sort of sacrifice before the Lord for the judgment to relent. Why? Because David was in a place of sinfulness. This is an altar of repentance. David's is an altar of repentance where he comes and he says, Lord, I've been wrong. Lord, my heart has been wicked. Lord, I need to have a relationship with you. I need intimacy to be restored. And I know that in order for that to happen, something has to die. And so I build for you this altar of earth and of stone. See, over and over and over again, you can read this throughout the scripture. You want to come into my presence, you have to come to the altar. You want to meet with me, you have to come to the altar. You're worried or you're frightened or you're scared, you have to come to the altar. You're in need of deliverance, you need to come to the altar. You feel far from God, come back to the altar. Come back to that altar of earth and of stone. But here's the thing. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, read this with me. It's no longer an altar of earth and of stone. This is what Paul writes. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He begins, and what we're going to look at this morning, if you have your outlines, now we're actually going to start the real outline. If you have your outlines out this morning, To begin with, we need to look at the doctrinal presentation that Paul is alluding to here. It's really divine that the Lord would do this because we went through the first 11 chapters. And here in chapter 12, there's a noted shift in focus from the first 11 chapters to what comes next in the book of Romans. So here at this spot, there's this pause. And what Paul is now referencing is he's referencing the doctrinal presentation that he's laid out for anyone who would read for these the people in the church of Rome who are reading this epistle for you and me today who are reading this epistle and he says because of everything that you read in the first 11 chapters now this is what comes next he begins this by giving this appeal I appeal to you it says in the ESV In some of the other versions in the New King James, I beseech you therefore, brethren. The word beseech means to urge. It means to plead. It means to beg. I am begging you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I'm begging you to do this. Now, it's interesting that this word that we have in the Greek is perikaleo. It's two words that are combined together, para, which means with, or alongside of, and kaleo, which means to call. It happens to be the same word or the same root word that is used for the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one who will come alongside of us. And so here Paul's saying, I am asking you, I am pleading, I am begging you to present your body as a living sacrifice. Literally, I am calling you to come alongside of me. I am calling, I'm inviting you, I'm pleading with you, I'm begging you to come join me in worshiping God at the altar as a living sacrifice. 
You see, the Holy Spirit, some of his roles, the way that he functions in our midst today, this is one of the things he does. This is what is committed to his care, is to urge you, to plead with you, to lead you, to beseech you, to appeal to you, to come and to join Christ. Right? To be the paraclete, the one who comes alongside of, the one who calls alongside of, come out of your old life. Stop living in sin. You don't have to be destroyed by that lifestyle any longer. God has something better for you. And the Holy Spirit invites you into that place to come and join Jesus. Paul is doing the same thing here, saying, I'm begging you, please come join me. You don't have to live that way any longer. I beseech you, therefore. Now, there's this saying all the time, many, 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 many Bible teachers say, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to ask what? what it is there for, right? And this is truth. There's truth to this, right? Why is that there? Again, in the first 11 chapters, the first 315 verses of this epistle, Paul has been focusing on issues of doctrine, building a good doctrinal foundation. And here, in verse 1 of chapter 12, there's a shift from an emphasis on doctrine to practice, there's a shift from, okay, this is what it means to know the Lord, to now, this is how I live it out, Right? So that's why there's this shift here. There's that therefore, okay? Because I've presented all of these truths in the first 11 chapters, the first 315 verses, because now you have an understanding of what God wants from you, now this is how it should change the way you live. Every good Bible preacher will always give that application. Because the power is not in the knowing, the power is in the doing. So here, Paul says, I'm begging you, therefore, by the mercies of God, the mercies of God, the compassion of God, quite literally, in the Greek. And we saw this a few weeks ago. Look at this verse. I want to remind you, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, speaking of the compassion of the Lord. When he saw the crowd speaking of Jesus, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. His heart grieved for the people who were lost in their sinful state. Because they didn't know which way to go spiritually. Because they didn't have clear direction. Because they had no real purpose. And so Jesus' heart broke for them. The scripture says of Jesus, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's where his compassion led him. Do you know what God's compassion has done for those of us who understand the gospel today? This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He showed us, he revealed truth to us. That is God's mercy that has done that. It's not because you're so intelligent. The only reason why the scales have been removed from your eyes is because God has removed them. And that's according to his compassion and his mercy. So Paul says, because you understand the compassion, the mercies of God, because you understand this doctrine, these teachings, right? What teachings is he referencing? Throughout the first 11 chapters, that word therefore has popped up over and over and over again. And each time that word therefore pops up, it's to reference, it's to wrap up the previous section, right? And so first thing I want you to see from the first 11 chapters of Romans is that man's condition is that of condemnation. Paul spends most of the first three chapters laying this foundation. He says, people have gotten to a point to where they are worshiping the creature rather than the creator. 
He says in the first three chapters that even the Israelites, even those of you who are Jews, you've been trusting in the works of the flesh. You believe that by keeping the law, you can be made right. You believe that because you're circumcised, that you're right in the eyes of God. That can't be. And then he says in Romans chapter 3, for there is none righteous, not a single one of us. All of us is turned after our own ways. None of us really seek after the Lord. Then in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, he says this. He says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight, for by the law is a knowledge of sin. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977